The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On the Jordan Harbinger Show, you'll hear amazing stories from people that have lived them, from spies to CEOs, even an undercover agent who infiltrated the Gambino crime family. You're about to hear a preview of the Jordan Harbinger Show with Jack Garcia, who did just that. My career was 24 out of 26 years was solely dedicated working on the cover. I walk in, I'm in the bar. Now there's a barmaid there, good looking young lady. She's serving me drink. Hey, what would you like? I usually, my drink was, give me a kettle, one martini, three olives, glass of water on the side. I finish the drink, the guys come in, I'm gonna go, go in my pocket, take out the big wad of money. Bam, I give her a hundred dollars. If you're with the mob, I say, hey Jordan, you're on record with us. That means we protect you. Nobody could shake you down. We could shake you down. Oh, you're on record with us. For more on how Jack became so trusted in the highest levels of the Gambino organization, check out episode 392 of The Jordan Harbinger Show. It is time for Congress to pass the Suck Act. I'll tell you all about it in a second. Violent crime. I know this is shocking. It's on the rise in these anti-cop big cities. And finally, the question for our time. All that's coming up right now on I'm Right. I want you to imagine this scenario here. You, you own a gigantic city, and it's the year 1250, all right? You own this gigantic city in the Middle East. You are told 
the Mongols, Genghis Khan and the Mongols, their gigantic horde, they are coming to kill you all. And so you are allowed to do whatever you want to your big city. There is no such thing as too many resources. And so you start to build this huge wall and you build moats and you build this gigantic impregnable uh, fortress. And then, of course, Genghis Khan shows up and begins to batter down your walls and he has a battering ram at your front gate, which is obviously very thick, very well done. But you take all of your forces and you retreat to the center of the city and you all just sit there and hide underneath your bed. Nothing else. You just hide. What? How does that story end? How does that story end? It's inevitable, right? I mean, it sounds stupid. Well, what do you mean? Of course they're going to eventually get in. They are. Now, why are they eventually going to get in? Because there's no offensive component to your defense. Unless there is some way to beat them back from the walls, they're coming over the walls or through the walls or through the gate. Part of any defense has got to be an offense. It has to be. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is where conservatism is a huge failure. I I don't like saying that. I've called myself one my whole life. I think in a way I still am, maybe. I don't know. I don't know these definitions. I know this, though, and this is an undeniable fact. For a century, a century, if not more, our limited federal government, our federal government that actually has a piece of paper that is the law of the land, and it says you are allowed to do this, 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 and this, and nothing else. So we, we not only know that it's limited, we know what it's limited to. It's specific. Our limited federal government has only grown for 100 years. Now, if there are two different parties, and one party wants to grow the government, and one party wants to shrink the government, and government has only grown for 100 years one of those parties isn't doing its job and one of those parties is. You see, that's the failure in conservatism, American conservatism, republicanism, whatever you want to call it. There's no way to fight back. There has been no way to fight back. There has been give a little ground here. Oh, there's no slippery slope there. Oh, no, just let them, it's fine. Look, we don't want to look like bad people. Just let them have that. Ooh, no, we can't look intolerant. Don't fight about that. No, we'll let that go. Oh, well, I mean, this issue is important. I'll tell you what, let us win the next election. We'll dig in. Oh, man, abortion is really bad. Tell you what, get us elected, we will defund Planned Parenthood. You have my word. Then nothing happens. Nothing happens. We even now, we have a situation in the country where they are in such a position of power We can actually elect the president of the United States of America and have the Senate. And he's relatively hemmed in for three years. Trump's got a few things done. It's done fine. It's not an insult to him. What's he supposed to do? Two years. Two years of a Russian collusion special investigation. And we now know it was invented out of thin air. Then another six months or so of impeachment. Impeachment over what, mind you? Remember, that whole thing was down to... A phone call the White House released. We, we all read the transcript. We, could, we can all read it. An impeachment over nothing. 
a special investigation over nothing. You see that happens because the leftists have now seized so much power in the United States of America, they can invent narratives. We've had three weeks of a race war in the United States of America over a cop killing a guy, and we don't know if it was involved, if race was involved at all. Do you know that? Does that weird you out? Think about what you're still seeing out there now. Black lives matter! Even the GOP, we need a police reform bill, just like the Democrats. You realize there's still no race motive found at all for that cop in Minneapolis? Not one. But yet, it was decided, it happened, media took off with it. Because we have lost the culture war in America. It does me no pleasure to say that. We have lost it. Stop with these childish, we're the silent majority arguments. That's complete crap. Every single pillar of power we have lost. So, that's not a time to cry. It's not a time to hide under our bed and be all down. It is a time to change our tactics. Our tactics must now be the tactics of a rebel guerrilla force, which we are. We still exist. We still have brains. We still have the ability to fight. But in so doing, we must do things that make you and I uncomfortable. Just like a guerrilla force has to do, we must use the enemy's weapons against him. That's why I have spent the weekend blasting away at American universities, all of them. In fact, I want Congress to pass a law, the Suck Act. This is my actual tweet on the whole thing. I am calling on both parties in Congress to pass the Strip University Credentials Act for every American university like Yale, Georgetown, and Brown who were founded by slave owners. I'm calling it the Suck Act. End university racism in these monuments to slavery now. And I, I mean, look, the, the, I have a list here, a mini list of the universities, but University of Virginia, that's Jefferson, slave owner. Univer- Yale, oh, geez, Yale may be the worst culprit of all. Elihu Yale, think about all the places you've seen that name, Yale. I want you to think about this right now. It's everywhere, right? It's on sweatshirts, hats, it's plastered all over the university. How many Yale people have a Yale degree sitting on the wall? Yale this, Yale that, I went to Yale. Um, that man wasn't just a slave owner. That man was an actual slave trader. That man is in the business of kidnapping black people from their home in Africa, stuffing them in the bowels of a ship, chaining them up like animals, and shipping them to the United States of America, and his name is all over a prestigious American university? Oh, it doesn't stop. There's Harvard. There's Brown. The Brown family were slave traders. In fact, the Brown family and the original Brown Board of Trustees used to, quote, rent black people. Does that not make you sick for their Board of Trustees meeting meetings? William Rice, I work here in Houston. I live here in Houston. Rice is right here in my area. I am miles away from Rice University where there is a gigantic statue of William M. Rice. And William M. Rice was so racist, he, did, he said in his will that Rice University would be, and I quote, for whites only. You see, I was all about that leave everybody and everything alone life. But if we're going to do this, if I have to sit and look at things like this, the Teddy Roosevelt statue, 
outside of a museum in New York, if I have to sit and look at Teddy Roosevelt statues being removed, if my statues are being removed, if you're going to trash the history of my country and the things I love, then your statues are being removed. I am calling on Yale to change its name. I'm calling on Rice to change its name and tear down that statue. And don't think for a second this is going to be a one-time thing. I'm calling for all of it, and I'm coming for all of you right now. Because I will not sit in the city square while the hordes batter down the gates of my city. I am going to fight back in some way, shape, or form. And if that makes you uncomfortable, it's not that I'm right. It's that you need to buck up. Because that's the future we have now. That is our future. You lay down and take it, or you buck up and start hitting somebody back in the mouth. And the time is now. Bill de Blasio had this to say. Gosh. The American Museum of Natural History has asked to remove the Theodore Roosevelt statue because it explicitly depicts black and indigenous people as subjugated and racially inferior. It is the right decision and the right time to remove this problematic statue. Good freaking grief. So, in case you thought this was just a Democrat problem, I want you to listen to Republican Senator Rounds. I think the, the president makes a good point when he says we're not going to try to rewrite history. And, and I, I agree with him. We don't want to rewrite history. But I think we need to be looking forward into the future as to the direction that we want our country to move. And I think one of the best ways to do that uh, is with as many individuals as there are out there that look at this and say, you know, look, are, are there other people that are more deserving of having their name on the base? And the other part of this commission that I liked was it takes into account and it requires that they get local input into what the base should be named. And that was one of the concerns that I had was that it should not be Washington, D.C. going back out and saying, we've decided what a name should be, but rather in a local region where there's a lots of local history. This is a case of where saying, okay, what would be a better American general or American soldier uh, or airman or, or member of the Marines that would be an appropriate name uh, uh, for that base to carry in the future. Hang on one second, real quick. Oh, gosh, thank you. I had to feel better. Uh, I feel a lot better now because I am disgusted by my party. What is that crap? Is there anybody in Congress who has the balls to stand up and change the narrative? Anybody? Is that all we do is chase whatever tale the media puts out there? Ah, love me, media. Ah, be nice to me. Well, I mean, maybe we should change the base. I'm really not sure. Oh, he's far from the only senator. This is Rubio. The purpose of naming government facilities isn't to upset our fellow Americans. It's to foster national unity and pride by honoring exceptional service to our country. If a name becomes a source of legitimate disunity, it's appropriate to change it, but via a thoughtful and orderly process. My word. You know what? Make that a plaque and put that up everywhere because that should serve, that whole tweet should serve as a monument to the GOP. If you want to know why government has only grown a hundred years, that's why. Because people like Marco Rubio want a thoughtful, orderly process 
while Democrats rip this country to shreds and tear down every single thing that makes America, America. If you're too stupid and or weak at this point in time to see what these leftists are doing and fight back against them, please resign from the United States Senate and go hide and suck your thumb where you should be. Good grief. All of that may have made you uncomfortable. I hope it did. But I'm right. Now, you know what makes me uncomfortable? When I talk to people and they tell me how they're doing in the market. And I say, the, the stock market? Like, oh yeah, stocks and bonds, things like that. And you only have to ask them about two or three questions from there and they usually walk away horrified. I mean, you all do realize we're $26 trillion in debt, right? $4 trillion deficit this year alone. We're going to talk to the great Carol Roth about this later on in the show. She knows everything about the market. We are holding together the United States economy with Band-Aids and paper clips and little bitty pieces of scotch tape. If your retirement, if your 401k, your IRA is still in stocks and bonds, I'm sorry, you're insane. You need to get a hold of birchgold.com slash jesse. That's B-I-R-C-H gold.com slash jesse. And find out how to legally roll over your IRA into a precious metals IRA. They have a free 20-day kit for you there. This is not some fly-by-night company. A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. Start protecting yourself from the calamity that's coming. Birchgold.com slash jesse. We will be back. I want you to imagine something. I know we're doing a lot of imagining on today's show, but it's my show. I have a great imagination. <laughs> Stop. I want you to imagine I uh, fall into a bad way, which can happen. I become morbidly obese. One day, my parents are out looking for me because they heard I've gone missing, and they find me laying on the sidewalk somewhere in a puddle of my own drool. I weigh 500 pounds. I have heroin marks on my arm. It looks like I have a gigantic infection in my left leg and I'm missing a shoe. And my parents look at me and say, man, we gotta get this kid some shoes. Well, where are the shoes? Let's get him down to the shoe store. We'll get him some shoes. That is basically what we've done in the United States of America when it comes to race, when it comes to crime for the last three weeks. Is it not the weirdest thing in the world? I was just thinking about this. Tell me this isn't surreal. That we have poor areas in these big cities, big cities who have stripped their citizens of their gun rights, and then we have a bad neighborhood anyway, and now we've disarmed all the great people in the neighborhood, so the scumbags in the neighborhood are, of course, going to get weapons because that's what scumbags do. They then terrorize their own neighborhoods, and we all decided that cops were the problem in these neighborhoods. That's been our race discussion in America, in poor black neighborhoods across the country. Our three-week discussion on race is everybody yelling about the police. Both parties passing, trying to pass federal police reform bills. Cops this, cops that. We're going to disband the cops. Let's send, let's send social workers. No more cops. Cops, cops, cops. Cops, cops, cops. Anybody going to address... Crime? 
fatherlessness? The poor, poor living conditions? Anybody going to address any of this? Or are race conversations in America now simply limited to how bad the cops are or not? Whatever you believe about police brutality, whatever you believe about the cause of the living conditions in these neighborhoods, um, nobody in the country outside of somebody who's either very, very, very stupid or has a really hardcore agenda, nobody really thinks cops are the issue facing them, right? Even if you think cops treat some of these neighborhoods poorly, the problem in the neighborhood isn't the cops, right? And that's all we've talked about. Isn't that wild? When you stop and think about it, that's all we've talked about. The cops. What should the cops do? What shouldn't the cops do? Should we ban chokeholds? Oh, we need a federal this. We need a training here. How many cops? Too many cops? Less cops? What's going on? Cops, cops, cops. That's all we've talked about. And boy, does that not sum up where we are and why we are where we are. Because we can see a fat guy with heroin tracks on his arms and a rotting infection with his leg about to fall off. And you know what we do? We talk about the man's shoes for weeks on end. Nobody wants to address anything else. Nobody, nobody in this country in positions of power wants to talk about the hard issues. We all want to talk about the easy thing. The thing that won't get us yelled at. I don't want to get called a meanie McMean face. And that's how everybody operates now. These people in our party too. They all operate out of fear. I don't want to be called a racist. Uh, it's, it's probably mostly the cops. Uh, where's our? We need someone with a GA, GOP bill uh, condemning the cops. Ugh. But, whoa, hey, look, you're getting what you want now. New York City, they pulled all their plainclothes police, gone. Minneapolis, they're disbanding their police department. Multiple cities across America actually talking about sending social workers on certain calls. You know what? You don't have to take my word for it. All you're going to have to do is watch the news and see how that turns out. It is about to be a war zone in America's cities. And, well, maybe I shouldn't say about to be because the war zone is here. Let me just tear through a bunch of headlines really quickly. New York Post headline. Shooting surge in New York City amid disbanding of NYPD's plainclothes anti-crime unit. Gee, never saw that coming. Headline, Chicago Sun-Times, 104 shot, 14 fatally over one weekend, over Father's Day weekend in Chicago. 104 people. Dang those cops. Five children, by the way, I should mention, were among the 14 people killed. One, a three-year-old boy. If that doesn't make you sick to your freaking stomach, I'm telling you what. The Detroit Free Press headline, police, one are dead, 11 are wounded in weekend shootings across Detroit. Shoot, that's relatively peaceful compared to Chicago. Headline from Buffalo, New York, violent weekend creates concern for Buffalo leaders and police since Saturday morning. 10 people have been wounded in six shootings that Buffalo police have reported across the city. All that going on. And do you want to know what uh, Mayor de Blasio's wife is digging into I can't make it up just listen the formation of a racial justice and reconciliation commission 
to establish a definitive historical record of racial discrimination in New York City. This commission is designed to provide New Yorkers a platform to voice their experiences. It will also promote social learning, collective introspection, and other measures to tear down the barriers to true equality. The commission will identify policy areas where discrimination exists, including employment, housing, criminal justice, environment, education, and health. New York City is the first major United States city or state to undergo a comprehensive truth and reconciliation process. Yeah, well, that 300-some percent rise in violent crime over the weekend, what they're really missing is a truth and reconciliation process. That'll take care of things. <laughs> All right, speaking of crime, you know what's wild? Again, talk about not talking about the big deal. We talk about identity theft all the time. How many times, how many times have you heard the words identity theft? Well, be, be careful. Identity theft or credit card theft. Um, I've had my credit cards stolen multiple times. Not physically, but, you know, they get your number online and spend a bunch of money somewhere. Do you have any idea how much money it's cost me to have my credit card stolen a bunch? Nothing. Not a dime. It's the easiest thing in the world. You make a phone call, they remove the charge off, they go dig into it, you never think about it again. It's not major. You know what is major? You know what's financially wiping people out in America? Home title theft. Probably never thought about it, did you? I have to be honest, I didn't either. Your title is online. It takes somebody with computer experience. I know because they did it to me to show me how easy it is. It takes somebody with, a, with computer experience about that long to produce a completely authentic looking home title of yours with your signature on it. They then take out a loan on it. And the first time you find out about it, well, they're off eating oysters in the Caribbean. You, you're on the hook for thousands, tens of thousands. Don't get stuck like that. Go to HomeTitleLock.com right now. Don't forget to use the code JESSE. Get you 30 days. At least get a month free out of the whole thing. HomeTitleLock.com. Protect yourself from the unexpected. You know what? If you don't, and that day comes when they get you, you are going to hate yourself for not doing it. HomeTitleLock.com. Promo code JESSE. We'll be back. Outer space is a fascinating place. I don't understand the first thing about it, and I don't understand why we need all this Space Force stuff. So it is time to bring in a man who probably does understand those things. Brandon Weikert, the author of the new book, Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. Brandon, why do we need a Space Force? I don't understand. Are we just looking at moon rocks and stuff? <laughs> No, if only, if only. Although there is an economic component to space mining, um, there's a geostrategic element as well. Our society relies on satellites to function. Our military needs satellites to enjoy its global dominance that we've become accustomed to. And those satellites are vulnerable to attack and disruption. In fact, China and Russia in particular are developing methods to attack and destroy those satellites, thereby making our military deaf, dumb, and blind. 
Um, and then they hope to be able to overpower our forces in, say, an invasion of Taiwan or an invasion of Eastern Europe for the Russians. And that's, a, that's obviously not a good thing. And so the Space Force is trying to figure out a way to uh, protect those assets and then also to maybe make the, um, the, our space systems more durable and then maybe even put weapons and other systems in orbit to keep our enemies back on their heels. Brennan, I can't believe you think Russia would have its eyes on Eastern Europe. There's no historical evidence of that. <laughs> right. Well, well, you know, I actually think the bigger, longer-term threat is China. But, uh, you know, I think Russia's, Russia definitely wants to move their borders, if given the chance, a little farther away from Moscow, uh, and also maybe to get a little historical revenge on the West for winning the Cold War. Um, but I do think there is an opportunity here uh, for us to do a deal with Russia where we keep cooperating in space and work together to contain China. But obviously, um, the way things are right now in Washington, that's very hard to do. So that's why I say we just have to build up Space Force and make ourselves so strong in this new strategic domain that they won't be able to threaten us. Work with Russia against China. Can you break that down a little bit? Because I think most of us, myself included, as ugly Americans, we just like to think, oh, it's just one gigantic commie sphere. I'm sure, I'm sure China and, and Russia meet together all the time. They're best friends, right? Is that not the case? Well, they, they are cooperating. And one of the main reasons that they're cooperating is because we've been pushing Russia away. Um, they're definitely not the most savory country to do business with, but you know that the reality is they're a large country with a lot of nukes, and they are probably the second most powerful space power behind us. Uh, China's catching up big time, um, and they're starting to cooperate more with Russia, and that's a huge problem. You know, in the geostrategic realm, Halford Mackinder, who was an old British strategist at the turn of the last century, he cautioned both Britain and the United States about letting a power or group of powers c come to dominate Eurasia, Europe and Asia. And right now we seem to be with our policies pushing Russia and China together by necessity. Uh, I would like to see us maybe complicate that relationship and keep those two powers divided as long as possible. Brandon, explain to me how Russia and or China would take out one of our satellites. I don't want to nerd out on the details, but I can't help it. It fascinates me. Do they have little little Russian Marines yeah. up there? Are they firing missiles from the ground here? How are they? How would you even do something like that? So um, basically, the most direct way would be, yes, to shoot what's known as an anti-satellite ASAT weapon uh, from the Earth into space to go against uh, one of our satellites in orbit. But they've also been lacing orbit with uh, what's known as space stalkers. These are tiny satellites with uh, little grappling arms, something like something from an old James Bond uh, Moonraker. You know, it's they, they're designed to tailgate behind one of our larger satellites undetected. And then they basically latch on and push those satellites out of orbit. 
thereby making our forces deaf, dumb, and blind, and then also making it harder for us to figure out what happened. So they could attack us, a space Pearl Harbor, and we might not even know that they attacked us uh, until you know well after they've started hitting us in Eastern Europe for the Russians or for Taiwan uh, or even India, uh, if you're the Chinese. And it will take us a while to figure out what happened and then to respond. And in the meanwhile, we can't communicate, we can't coordinate, we can't get surveillance, we can't have early warning missile systems because they will have debilitated them. That's freaking awesome. Little grappling hooks and such. How far advanced are we past Russia and China when it comes to space? I, I mean, I see these graphics about our Navy and how absurdly good it is and how much better it is than everybody's, even though China's catching up there too. How much more advanced are we in space? Um, I would say if we were to look at Russia... Um, in space specifically, I would say that they are pretty much on par with us, uh, especially in the last 10 years. They've really been hot and heavy and keeping a pace with us. I think our private sector is going to be able to out-innovate them, which is why they're scared about Elon Musk's SpaceX being successful. Uh, China, I would say, is about six to seven years behind us, but they are rapidly catching up. And I would not be surprised if they are able to leapfrog us in the next six or seven years if they keep going at the pace they're going. They're looking at putting a rover on the, on the Martian surface. Uh, they're looking at a July launch. Uh, we'll see if they can make that. But NASA's already falling behind in that uh, with, with getting one of their next systems up to Mars. And in another couple years, it could be that China surprises us all and lands their Taikonauts on, on the, the, the surface of the moon or on Mars. Uh, while we're still trying to figure out how to get back up there. So they're, they're dedicated. They have a long-term strategy. It's about being able to threaten our satellites. It's also about being able to get better prestige by putting people on the moon and Mars, more permanent basing. And then it's also about being able to harvest the natural resources on the moon, on asteroids. And that's, that's a tr at least a trillion dollar industry waiting to be uh, conquered. Whoever gets their first wins. What natural resources? Are there a big oil deposit up there or something I'm not aware of? Uh, well, there are these things called rare earth minerals, and those are basically a lot of modern technology needs them. Things uh, we can get a lot from Africa. Uh, we can get them from these harder to reach places on earth. And the reason they're called rare earths is not because they're not a lot of them. It's just because it's very expensive to get to them. Well, the moon and the asteroids in particular have these minerals very easily accessible on their surfaces. Uh, it's just a question of having a rocket that can get up there and having the ability to mine for them. That's going to be the cost issue. But China's rapidly working on a way to lower the cost, and so is SpaceX and the American private industries, so that it's cheaper to get up there, and then we can start doing some pretty cool stuff with mining uh, and returning it to Earth. And then you've now lowered the overall costs of rare earth minerals, uh, obviously, because the more supply, the lower the cost uh, you have, unless you're in big education, and then, of course, it never goes down. But that's another topic. <laughs> Brandon Weikert, author of the book Winning Space, highly recommended. Thank you so much for giving us some time today, sir. Thank you. How about that? Got a little smarter today, thanks to Brandon. You know what else will make you smarter every day? Sleeping. You realize 
Your mind and body need that, right? They both need sleep. You were created that way. You spend a third of your life in bed. Why are you still staring at the ceiling, praying for, just please let it end, make me go to sleep? You don't have to do that anymore. I've told you about it a million times. Go get an ebb sleep. It's not magic. It's not sleeping pills or something like that. It is a wearable device. You put it on your head. It calms those racing thoughts which are keeping you awake, putting you asleep really quickly and keeping you asleep. And I'm not asking you to just try some, you know, weirdo thing that, that's going to leave you out a bunch of money if it doesn't work. You can try it risk-free for 60 days. Let me say that again. You can try it risk-free for 60 days. Go to tryeb.com slash jesse. That's tryeb.com slash jesse. Use the promo code jesse at checkout. Get 25 bucks off. We'll be back. Joining me now, host of the Roth Effect podcast, the great Carol Roth, who is always welcome on our show. Carol, it is time to start taking down all the institutions of racism in America. I say Congress must pass the Suck Act and we must remove these school names. What say you? Well, first of all, I know you said I'm always welcome on your show, but I went to an Ivy League institution, the University of Pennsylvania, mm. that was founded by Ben Franklin. So I'm sure you're going to be horrified and probably ban me. But I want you to know, Jesse, and everyone who's watching, that I'm doing my part for anybody who has a piece of paper who might have Ben Franklin's picture on it. Um, you know, maybe George Washington's picture. As some of you call it legal tender. If that is offending you, any of these founding fathers on your legal tender, please send it to me. I'm happy to take it off of your hands. Again, just to help the cause. I'm trying to do my part like you are with the Suck Act. And so if any of that legal tender with the faces of these horrible people are offending you, send it my way. In all seriousness, Carol, I don't have an explanation for much of this stuff, but I do know this. Government has only grown for 100 years. I know you don't call yourself a conservative. Whatever you are, I know it's similar to what I am, and I don't want government growing. I want government shrinking. And there doesn't seem to be any offensive mechanism to lash back at the people who are battering down the gates. This is my way to lash back at those people. Whether it be right, whether it be wrong, I don't know. Why is there no offensive mechanism built into conservatism, libertarianism, whatever you want to call it? Well, first of all, you're absolutely right. And I am so happy that you are doing what you're doing because you have to fight fire with fire and point out how ridiculous these things are. Unfortunately, I think that we've lost the branding around a lot of important concepts, including individual rights, which by the way, everybody who's part of the Black Lives Matter um, you know, uh, situation right now, that's what they're fighting for. They're fighting for individual rights. Uh, we've lost the branding around capitalism, which used to be known as free markets, the free market economy, free market capitalism has now been shortened to something and completely bastardized. And I'm sorry, unfortunately, the word conservative doesn't sound cool to the young kids. So you got to come up with a better word. It used to be called classical liberal. They stole that on the left and, and uh, kind of messed it up. So we need some better branding people. I think that's the, the crux of the problem.
I totally agree with you. We suck at branding. We suck at deciding on the narrative. My question is, why? Why are we not good at that? And let's be frank, they are very good at that. Black Lives Matter. It's a commie front group. The don It's not even like it's well hidden. The donation page goes right to Act Blue, which is a Democrat slush fund. And everybody knows this, yet they're smart enough to put Black Lives Matter on it. So either you support the group or you don't like black people. Why are we not good at that? I know, it's like asking me to rationalize crazy. It just is. Uh, you got to get some more people on the team that are focused on that. And unfortunately, uh, the liberal, the ultra-liberal folks, because obviously lots of great normal liberal, liberal folks out there, but the ultra-left people have taken over entertainment. They have taken over the media. They have taken over um, our e educational institutions. So if you want to fight back in a meaningful way, not saying that your um, suck, act, and cancel whatever university on Twitter isn't meaningful, because obviously it is, but we need more of that. We need more people in these relevant uh, institutions making the arguments in ways that resonate with young people. And unfortunately, a lot of that is on an emotional level. Uh, when you deal with people like myself, who, you know, reason and logic, that doesn't fly. That's not the messaging that gets across. You have to, to deal on that emotional level as well. And so you sometimes have to get out of your own comfort zone and go into those arenas in order to be able to fight the battle with where it's happening. The market. Nobody can seem to figure out why the market is remaining where it is. When I mean, the, it's not as if the economy has somehow gotten better than it was in the middle of the coronavirus lockdowns, Carol. And we all saw those idiots in Congress pass a $2 trillion bill and flush it all down the drain, which only kicked the can down the road even further. We know for a fact anyone with a brain knows more pain is coming. The market remains high. Connect with the viewers. It gets lost on people. Markets versus the economy versus the dollar. I don't know. People get confused. Explain it. All right. So there's a disconnect usually between the market and the economy. They have never been more disconnected. I'll give you a few reasons why that's happening right now. One is because there are a bunch of bored millennials who have no, no sports to bet on. So they've all opened up these Robinhood and other trading accounts, and they are literally trading in the market every day as if it's like a, a sports event to bet on. That is not going to end well. That is not a long-term investing strategy, but it's putting a lot of liquidity and a lot of buying support into the market. And obviously, when there are buyers in demand, that raise prices. So that's one thing. Um, second is that the market always pays more for possibilities than realities. The market tends to be optimistic about things. So they're trying to look past 2020 into 2021 and say everything is going to be rosy because they haven't gotten enough information yet to really prove, even though conceptually we all know it, they haven't actually heard like how bad it is. So when we have the second quarter reporting from companies and probably the third quarter, and then they start to give kind of their general take on where things are moving. I think that the market's gonna go, oh wait, yeah, no, no, it's not as good as we thought it is. 
And so that will probably shift things. And then the Fed, uh, the Federal Reserve, which is a whole other discussion in and of itself, but the, the quick piece is that they have been intervening at a level that is completely inappropriate and is unprecedented. They're at the point now where they're actually in the market buying corporate bonds, which you don't have to understand. A lot of things others should know that they shouldn't be doing that. And that is propping up the market. The market feels like they are going to be able to hold it up, but it's kind of like a house of cards. You can't hold it up forever. Eventually it has to come down. Carol, I'm as anti-Democrat as anybody who walks the planet. I, I don't pretend to be some journalist. I am a partisan hacks, partisan hack. However, so feel free to correct me. But how does that market not have a massive, what you would call, correction if Joe Biden were to win in November? Just the anti-business, anti-corporate policies Democrats in many cases are forced to embrace now. Does that market nosedive if Biden gets elected? I certainly think that it's not going to help the market. Um, unfortunately, I think that things are so messed up as they stand right now based on a whole bunch of bad decisions that have been made at sort of every level of government in our country um, and Fed intervention and whatnot that I'm not sure that's the only thing that's going to take the market. I think there are so many other problems in terms of how much debt is out there, um, in terms of productivity shrinking margins, in terms of small businesses coming back online, that even though Joe Biden wouldn't necessarily be good for the market, I think there are so many other things that are worse that that is not going to be the number one factor. And by the way, I'd be happy to tell you if it was. I just think at this point, there's so much bad stuff. It's just like piling another like piece of uh, you know grass on the camel's back. It's just one thing that's going to break it, but it's already going to be broken. This is disheartening. This is very disheartening. Carol, are you a hard taco, soft taco woman? Yes. <laughs> That's I, I, not I am, an answer. For, I, for, all I'm for all tacos, I'm for as many tacos as one could possibly feed me. It depends on the moment and time and where I'm going. If I go to like a Taco Bell for a quick thing, I'm getting a hard shell. If I'm going to a restaurant um, for a fajita, I'm probably getting a soft. And funny, they actually make a combination one that's like a corn and flour together. But I am open to tacos of all persuasions. And the more tacos, the better is my philosophy. Carol Roth, the Roth Effect podcast. Thank you, ma'am. My pleasure. No, we're still not done. Hang on. Somebody put out a ranch rankings list. And let me just say something before I get to the actual list and give you a just brief breakdown. Ranch dressing is amazing, except it's not that amazing on salad. I don't dislike it. It's just not that great on salad. It's not even my preferred condiment for chicken wings. I'm a blue cheese man. Don't judge me. I'll eat ranch on the wing. I just prefer blue cheese. However, ranch is incredible on two things. French fries, put the ketchup away, stop being a child, and pizza. Don't recoil in horror unless you've tried it first. I know it sounds insane. Believe me, the first time somebody offered it to me, I almost hit him but you must try it at least 
once in your life, you will never look back. Take your pizza, dip it in ranch. Allow us to dig into the rankings briefly because we're going to get out of here. Let's just say, I'm just going to address a couple things. On the list, number one, I was very, very thrilled to see it was Hidden Valley. Everybody knows Hidden Valley has invented the ranch game. Everybody else is really just trying to play catch up, including everyone else on this list. Ken's Steakhouse at number four is a little low, in my opinion. In fact, Ken's Steakhouse dressings across the board in general are good. If you're looking for a good anything, blue cheese, ranch, whatever it may be, you can always go Ken's Steakhouse. I have a major issue with Trader Joe's organic ranch dressing at number five. Uh, I don't wear hemp t-shirts, so I don't buy my ranch dressing from freaking Trader Joe's. Be serious about that. Finally, rounding out things... Walden Farms, it was 14, could have easily been number two or three. Don't be afraid to dig into Walden Farms. These are the heavy conversations we have to have right now. I'll see you tomorrow. Newton Group Transfer. They are here to help you if you're stuck in a timeshare. Uh, these stories from people who have these timeshares and can't get out of them, they're shocking. These timeshare companies, not all of them, but so many, they get their hooks into you and you can't give them up. You can't give them up. Or they'll, they'll do things like they charge you thousands of dollars. One girl, she got past her timeshare when her mother passed away. She gets past the timeshare, doesn't want the timeshare, doesn't use the timeshare. They tell her she can get out of it for $4,000. She has to come up with a $4,000 check. This is not right. It's unjust. And Newton Group Transfers is here to help you. If you are in a timeshare and want out or know someone who is, call 888-845-3773. That's 888-84-JESSE or go to timesharejesse.com. Newton Group Transfer. They will help you out. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. 
Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.